0: Well, good morning. Good morning. Hey, uh, welcome to Faith. Uh, thanks for being here today. If you are a, uh, if you're a fan of the NFL, I don't need to introduce you to Richard Sherman. But if you're not a fan of the NFL, it could be helpful. Uh, Sherman was drafted by the Seahawks in 2011 and quickly became known as one of the best lockdown corners in the league. Uh, made the all-rookie team that year and then throughout his career just saw a host of accomplishments. He was a five-time pro bowler, a three-time first-team all-pro. He was a two-time second-team all-pro. 2014, went to the Super Bowl and won and then managed to get back to the big dance two additional times after that. Just an amazing career on the field. Now, off the field, he did well with life as well. He's married. He's married. He's got a couple of kids, and last season, if you're a Thursday night, you know, prime football watcher, uh, he's one of the analysts for them. However, in July of 2021, Sherman nearly threw it all away. It was 1:30 in the morning. He is driving his SUV through a closed construction zone with workers in it. To get out of the construction zone, he tried to drive his vehicle through the barriers and completely disabled his vehicle in the process. By 2 a.m., he was recorded on his in-law's ring doorbell cam as he's ringing the bell repeatedly, screaming, hollering, cussing, demanding that his wife come out and see him, pounding on the door, and then trying to break it in. His wife was left to make the call to the police to tell them that her husband was threatening her and threatening himself. His father-in-law found himself in a position where when the door was knocked ajar, where he had to spray Richard with pepper spray and then sit behind the door with a handgun and decide what was he going to do if that door burst open and his son-in-law came in with the children upstairs. When the police arrived, Sherman argued, Sherman fought them physically, resisted arrest, and had to be forcibly removed. The next day, 6 AM 6 in police custody he was charged with driving under the influence reckless endangerment of roadway workers second degree criminal trespass resisting arrest and third degree malicious mischief on top of all the legal things he had all the relational issues that his previous night's activities created for him and his wife and his in-laws and his children on top of that His career on and off the field were in jeopardy and he had arguably the most embarrassing night of his life, caught on camera, posted on the internet, where it then went viral for the whole world to see. Not a good night for Richard. And yet, this is a story that we have heard time and time again. Whether it's somebody who's famous and the media is all keyed in on it, or somebody who's not a person of renown and the media really doesn't care, the details get tweaked out. The players change. But the the, the major pieces of the story are always there. An addictive element grabs a hold of someone, they make foolish, ill-advised decisions. And their lives become way more difficult than they need to be. And again, we've heard this story. Just stop and think. How many of us have heard of somebody famous who's done that? Every hand should be up. We just got done talking about Richard, all right? How many of us know somebody personally who's done that? And I won't ask you to raise your hand. But just how many of us could raise our hand because we've done that? Well, welcome to Faith Covenant Church. <laughs> if we haven't met, my name is Mike. I'm one of the pastors on staff here, and we are glad to have you with us here in person. If you're watching online and you're watching from faith, we are glad to have you here with us. If you are watching online and you're joining us from Life Church Livonia, we are thrilled to have you here with us. And Life Church Livonia, I'm excited about being with you all in person, as both of our churches are engaged in a series together on the book of Proverbs. And we've entitled this series, Life is Hard, but it's harder when we're stupid. Now, by this, here's, here's, here's what's going on. In this series, we're we're simply recognizing that life is hard enough, all on its own. But as human beings, we have the propensity to do silly things, foolish things, even stupid things that make our lives way more difficult than they need to be. But the good news of this series is that there is a God who loves us, who is invested in the day-to-day of our lives, and who has provided us with wisdom. Wisdom. The book of Proverbs is full of wisdom from God that speaks to the day-to-day areas of our lives and not only helps us avoid doing things that are going to make our lives more difficult than they need to be, but wisdom that can help us to be better at life and have better lives. And so each week we're taking a topic, from a theme from the book of Proverbs, and we're exploring what that theme has to say and what it has to say to us about how to avoid hardship and about how to succeed in that area of our lives and as we continue today we're going to look at this theme of of addictive elements and as we do so there's going to be you know conversation we'll pull it out of proverbs if you got a little one in the room today You may want to weigh that. You may be going, I don't know if I want to discuss this with my kids when they get home. I'll let you figure that out as the parent here. But uh, before we jump into things for today, let's take a minute and pray, invite God to be part of this, and then we will look at what Proverbs has to say. Father, uh, just again, this impacts in some way every one of us who's in this room, we've Heard about this, seen about this, read about this in the media. We have watched this unfold with people we know and we love. For so many of us, this has been our story in a season. So Father, we we pray that you would meet us, that you would give us hearts and minds that are open and receptive to your truth that will put away the excuses or the minimizing and the justifying and just try and hear from you and respond to you. Help us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So there there are a number of different passages in Proverbs that speak to addictive elements. But in chapter 23, you get kind of a larger section, especially for the book of Proverbs, where this is the topic. And so the writer begins this way. They say, who has woe? Who has sorrow? Who has strife? Who has complaints? Who has needless bruises? Who has bloodshot eyes? I'll tell you, the writer says, those who linger over wine, who go and sample bowls of mixed wine. Now, the writer begins here, they're basically going, hey, l- let me explain to you some of the, the, the negative impact that addictive elements can have on your life. And the writer starts off and says, this kind of stuff will bring you woe and sorrow. Now, it's, it's probably important that we clarify here when Proverbs says woe and sorrow, in this context, this is different than stone or woe. All right? This isn't, whoa, give me another hit of that, man. No, no, woe and sorrow in Proverbs... This is the person who is so frustrated with their life, they could scream because it feels like just disaster and destruction and chaos are forever raining down on me. Or Proverbs will say, addictive elements can bring strife and complaints. In the original language, this is referring to all kinds of relational problems and conflict, and, and being in this place where it feels like I just can't catch a break because every time I turn around, I'm having another issue that's difficult to navigate. Or Proverbs says that this will bring bloodshot eyes and needless bruises. It, it's really just simply saying, hey, the addictive elements in your world will beat you up physically. Now, it, it, when we listen to this and when we read this, the temptation can be to, to, to go, Okay, I've seen this before. This is just like, you know, scare tactics. This is just like, you know, hellfire and brimstone. You're going to scare me straight at church. And, and you know, I, I don't need that game. Listen, this isn't scare tactics. Very simply, this is truth. We, we just looked at, at a scene from Richard Sherman's life. And we could, again, the headlines provides us with just one after another after another example. But for for Richard Sherman, all of this, there's chaos and destruction raining down in his world. All kinds of relational strife he has to navigate with his spouse and in-laws and kids. As he's sitting in that cell, hungover, having physically fought with the police, he's got needless bruises and bloodshot eyes. This isn't scare tactics. This is a heartfelt warning from someone who cares about us. And they're going, hey, this is what these kind of elements can bring to your life. Now, who who earns the reward of woe and sorrow and strife and complaints in in a beat-up body? According to Proverbs, those who linger over wine... And who sample bowls of it. Now, what does it mean to linger or to sample? In the original language, the person who lingers is somebody who drinks heavy. Like we're talking like I'm getting floor, you know, tore up from the floor up kind of heavy drinking, right? And, and the linger, like this is like a lifestyle for me. I regularly interact with alcohol this way. The sampler, on the other hand, drinks heavy as well, but it's a time-to-time kind of thing. So Proverbs is saying, all of these things that I'm trying to warn you are going to be the result. These are the things that come to a person who, who, on a regular basis, they abuse alcohol. Or just from time to time, this is the place I go to have fun or to escape. Now, one more thing before we move on in the passage here. Some of us have been reading this and you're hearing this conversation. In the back of your head, there's this question or this objection. And you're going, you keep saying addictive elements. This is talking about Alcohol. I don't drink. I, I don't drink. I smoke the hippie leaf. So I'm good. Right? I don't drink. I, I trip on shrooms. So this isn't about me. In fact, the Bible never even mentions what it is I snort or shoot or do. And so I'm fine. This is about alcohol. This isn't about me. To which I would say, really? <laughs> really? I mean, by that logic, I could say, well, it's actually, it's talking about wine. So I just, if I drink beer or whiskey or if I'm a tequila man or I'm a gin guy, then none of these things are going to happen to me, right? Are we trying to have an intelligent, thoughtful conversation about the nature of addictive elements? Or are we looking for a way to justify what it is that we want to linger and sample? Because here's the deal. You could take any addictive element be it drugs, alcohol, sex, money, relationships, food, work, and you can see all of these outcomes in a person's life regardless of the element that we're speaking of. Don't don't be fooled. Just because Proverbs is using the life of the alcoholic as a framework to illustrate this, it doesn't mean that what it's talking about only applies to alcohol. What it's talking about applies to any addictive element in our lives. So, let's, let's continue. Proverbs goes on and says next, do not gaze at wine when it is red, when it sparkles in the cup, when it goes down smoothly. Why not? Because in the end, it bites like a snake and poisons like a viper. Now, as Proverbs continues here, it's it's beginning to speak to us about the, the nature of addictive elements in our lives. And it's going, hey, on the front end of the deal, these addictive elements, they look good, they seem harmless, they seem so manageable, and they promise us so much. Now, part of this is just the nature of addictive elements. Part of this is the nature of the culture that we live in. Just think about... Think about an addictive element like alcohol and how it's regularly represented to us in our culture today. In okay? fact, we, we've got an example of that. So we're going we're to watch a video together. Just as you're doing so, think about what is this telling you about how alcohol works? Let's watch. That's fun. It's silly. I, and, and I'll give Heineken their props. They do gr- great commercials, right? If you're trying to sell a product, they're doing an amazing job. But the message, and it's not, you, you take any kind of beer commercial, the message regularly, is hey, this is fun, this will make you sexy, this is charming, this is intelligent, this will help you get what you want in life. On the front end of the deal, the addictive elements in our world, they'll, they'll be like, hey, this is harmless, this is a good time, this is not a big deal, you can manage this, these are all the things that this is gonna do for you. And then the back end of the deal comes. And that element, very rarely does it, does it deliver everything that it promised. It usually just delivers a fraction of that. And then there are a host of negative things that we were never told about that get delivered on the back end of the deal. You, you will not find the Bud Light commercial with the person hugging the toilet bowl. Oh, I swear to God, if I get out of this, I'll never drink again. I have never seen that commercial. I scoured the internet. I could not find it, right? Bud Light doesn't have the the DUI commercial. It doesn't have the drunken brawl commercial. It doesn't have the neglected children commercial. It doesn't have the failed marriage commercial. It sparkles. It looks smooth. It looks great. But in the end, it'll bite like a snake and it'll poison you. It promises one thing and delivers just a fraction of that. And then it delivers a host of things that were never advertised that we don't want. Now, here's the thing. Everything we've discussed so far, probably most, if not all of us, we already knew this. We knew this coming in. Maybe we, we hadn't been thinking about it. Maybe we couldn't have articulated it. But This isn't rocket science, all right? So here's the question. We know these things to be true. We've watched them unfold in the lives of others time and time again. If this is the case, why is it that so many people will voluntarily make room in their lives for addictive elements, even after they've watched it bite and poison someone else, even after They've been bitten, poisoned themselves. Why do we continue to make room? Well, that's exactly what Proverbs speaks to next. It says, Your eyes will see strange sights, and your mind imagine confusing things. You'll be like one on the high seas lying on top of the rigging. They hit me, you say, but I don't hurt. They beat me, but I don't feel it. When can I wake up and find another drink? See, in spite of the fact that, that my addictive element will take me to this place where I can't see straight, I can't think straight, in spite, of, in spite of the fact that it'll leave me in a spot where like the next day, emotionally, physically, relationally, I feel like I got hit and run over by a bulldozer. I go there anyway. And I go there because of what my element will do for me. Proverbs expresses it in a poetic kind of way. It says, hey, they, they hit me, but I don't feel it. They beat me, but I don't feel it. I don't hurt. See, there, there's more than foolishness motivating someone to allow this poisonous snake that they know bites to stay in their life. When I'm in the throes of whatever you know, charms my addictive element will bring to my life, In that moment, I don't feel the pain, I don't feel the anxiety, I don't feel the depression, I don't feel the stress, I don't feel whatever else it is that I don't want to feel. In that moment, I don't have to deal with whatever it is that I don't want to deal with. For a time, my addictive element, it provides an escape. For a time, th- these things in my world that I don't want to have to navigate, it makes them go away. Now, while that strategy that is effective for a time, it, it brings a host of other things that I don't want. So, Sure, like I can numb myself, and I don't have to feel, and I don't have to deal. But those problems don't go away. In fact, oftentimes when I sober up, they're worse. And oftentimes, yeah, I can numb myself, but then the problems th- 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 that I had, I find a host of new ones added to them. And I am like, can become more dependent on my vice if this is the strategy that I'm employing than if I like, deal with the issue constructively. We get an example in this of this from author Roxane Gay and her book, Hunger. A while back, I heard an interview that Roxane gave, and she was talking about her book and her experiences that led her to writing the book. She talked about how, at the age of 12, her then boyfriend and a group of his friends assaulted her, and after the assault, she just found herself overwhelmed and wrestling with a host of different feelings and emotions. There was pain, there was anger, there was fear, there was self-esteem issues, there was a sense of powerlessness, a a sense of like, was, was this my fault? Now, to deal with those things, what Roxanne did is she ate. She overate. She overate like crazy. And in the interview, she talked about how she ate that way because the more she ate, the bigger she got, and the bigger she got, the, the less desirable she thought she would be. She ate that way because the more she ate, the bigger she got, and she thought maybe I could be big enough and strong enough to fight people off in future. She ate that way because when she was eating, she was numb to all of the feelings she did not want to have to deal with. And yes, food provided walls that she could retreat behind, But every time she went into that fortress, her problems were right there waiting for her when she came out. And when she hit 500 pounds, she realized, I can't do this anymore. And now I've got a host of new problems in addition to the ones that I started with. But this this is the nature of addictive elements. And then the other thing is, when I'm numbing myself to the pain, to the issues that are going on in my world, what I'm failing to do is develop further and and better coping mechanisms to deal with the stress of life. And when I'm numbing myself to the, to, to my pain and my issues, what coping mechanisms I do have, those begin to atrophy. And so, you have this person who's like, I got this pain, I'm gonna run to, to, to this fortress that I've built with whatever my addictive element may be, but the problems are still there. When I sober up, new problems develop, and I'm not developing new coping skills, and the ones that I have, they're, they're getting worse. All of which makes me more likely to go back to this addictive element in the first place. And so you spin that cycle enough, and you find a person who says, When can I wake up so I can find another drink? So Proverbs is trying to point out to us, hey, this is what addictive elements will do, and this is how they function in life. So as we continue, in light of some of what Proverbs has been saying to us, let's begin to think about, okay, what can we do? To to make sure that addictive elements don't work themselves into the fabric of our lives in a way that's destructive? Or what can we do if they already have to begin to deal with those things? And we've got time to to talk about a couple of approaches. So here we go. Number one, we want to approach addictive elements with common sense and self-awareness. When it comes to the addictive elements in our lives, listen, you don't have to go looking for them. They come. You know, whether we're talking about you know, um, food, sex, money, alcohol, drugs, shopping, work, relationships. I mean, th- these things are just part of our lives. And some of them you can't live without. I don't know, I don't know how you're going to live without money and, and, and food. It's just these things are here. And so like, as we interact with these elements, we just want to go, hey, what would it look like for me to just use common Sense, for example, if I'm like completely stressed out, it's never a good idea for me to be like, "Well, you know, what? I'm going to go out, I'm going to hit the streets, I'm going to pick up a lady in the night, some heroin, and we're going to get busy." That's never going to work. That's always a bad idea. And you're like, "I can't believe you said that. It's just senseless. It's it just it's. It doesn't take any kind of brain power to go that that that's." gonna make your life more difficult and create a host of different additional issues that's just common sense will tell you no. Sometimes the addictive elements in our lives it's not hard you just go what would common sense tell me. Other times though there's a degree of self-awareness that we really need to take advantage of where we need to take a step back and just be cognizant of this is who I am as an individual and what it looks like for me to interact with that element. So we use meat as an example. And this one's real. The the, the heroin and the lady of the night thing. That's that's an extreme example. all right. So alcohol. I read the scriptures. I think it's abundantly clear that drunkenness is out of God's design for my life. However, when I read the scriptures, I don't think the scriptures condemn drinking in moderation. And so to have a beer with my burger, I don't think the scriptures condemn that. And I'll be honest, I like that combination. However, For me personally, I have to be super careful about alcohol. And here's why. Um, If I have a beer, even one, when life is really stressful, it'll cause me to bottom out emotionally and become depressed. Now, this shouldn't surprise me. Like, it shouldn't surprise me that alcohol alters my mood. I'm not sure yet, but I think that's why they call it a mood-altering substance. All right? Just saying. All right? Here's the other thing, though. Research has told us that alcohol is a depressant, and research has shown us that mood-altering substances exaggerate the swings in our moods when we interact with them. I don't know if you know this or not. Pastoring is stressful. Like, all the time stressful. It's just the nature of the gig. And so, like, For me to have a burger with my beer when life is stressful, which is all the time when I'm pastoring, that's going to be a problem for me. And so typically, and this is not a hard, fast rule, and sometimes it's more, sometimes it's less. Typically, I do two beers a year. In September, after I've been on the trail backpacking for two weeks, I might have one with a pasty in the UP. And then after I've been surfing for a week, I might have one on the beach in Mexico. Generally, that's about it. Because this this may be a shocker, I have found that surfing and backpacking are less stressful than pastoring. (laughs) There we go. Had nothing to do with this is allowed, this is not allowed, this is, you know, what the scriptures, no, it's just I want to be self-aware. When it comes to the addictive elements in our world, especially ones that just like that cannot be avoided, if we want to interact with them in a healthy kind of way, we want to take a step back and just ask ourselves. Okay, what I'm about to do, why I'm about to do it, does this make sense? With, with the addictive elements in our lives, we want to take a step back and go, okay, what I'm about to do, why I'm about to do it, based on me and who I am. Does this make sense? If the answer is no, we will save ourselves a world of heartache by not going there. So, first approach we just want to approach these things with common sense and self-awareness right second thing we want to do is learn to constructively address the issues in our world for so many people the, the the move towards an addictive element is about hey i've got this issue in my life it's stressing me out i'm looking for some kind of an escape all right the issues aren't going away that's life and so we're either going to turn to addictive elements or we're going to learn to address those issues constructively. Now there's a host of things we could say about that. We've got time for two. First one is this. Don't go it alone. And I'll just be plain and to the point here. When it comes to stressors in our world, especially ones that are heavy enough or difficult enough that, to motivate us to consider turning to a addictive element to try and manage that stress, the folks who do this by themselves, more often than not, fail. If you go it alone, more often than not, you're going to lose. And that, that occasional turning to that addictive element for an escape, more often than not, that's where full-blown addictions start. It is the people who do this in community who have other people in their lives that they can share what's going on in their world with, those are the folks who do well. Those are the folks who tend to overcome. You see, we all have moments of weakness. We need other people to be strong. We all have blind spots that we need other people to help us see. We all have moments of of just losing hope. We need other people to help us stay in the game. We all have victories. We need other people to help us celebrate. Now, what community is going to look like, it's going to be different for different people based on what's going on in their world and who they are. For some of us, this might mean like, you know, like, I need to go see a professional counselor. For some of us, this might mean, you know, like, I need to open up to my small group. For some of us, this might mean I need to sit down with Pastor James. For some of us, you know, this might mean I need to, like, get involved in a genuine recovery ministry. Whatever, it, whatever form community might look like for you, don't go it alone. And then the second principle of dealing constructively with our issues is this. We want to live aware of the principle of the J-curve. Now, if, if you've kind of drifted off, tuned me out, come on back, right? Because the J-curve, this is applicable to what we're talking about today and a host of other things in our lives. There's, there's great range for this. And the, the principle of the J-curve is simply this. I'm living in dysfunction, any area of my life. I reached a point where I'm like, I don't want to live this way anymore. I want to experience genuine life. Now, what we like to think and hope for and even dream about is that the road from dysfunction to genuine life is a straight line that just goes up and to the right. I'm, I'm dysfunctional. I'm going to go, okay, I'm going to do life right now. And everything's just always going to get better. You know, the minute I decide I'm going to do this the right way. It'd be nice if life worked like this, but it doesn't. Life doesn't function like this. If I'm in dysfunction and I want to experience genuine life, I have to ride the J-curve. Which means, for a time, life will feel or actually will be worse before it gets better. And here's why it works that way. When I'm living in dysfunction and I'm turning to an addictive element to make myself numb to the pain and the stress and the anxiety and the depression or whatever else, and I quit doing that, for the first time in a long time, I am feeling all of those negative emotions that I don't want to feel and deal with. And so for a time, life will feel or actually will be more painful. Painful. Or if, if I've been running to my addictive element, instead of constructively dealing with the issue in my life, now all of a sudden, I am doing the hard work of dealing with that issue. And so for a time, life is going to feel, actually is going to be more difficult and more demanding than it was when I was living in dysfunction. And here's here's what oftentimes happens: a person will be living in dysfunction, like I can't do this anymore. I want to experience some life. I'm going to start doing the right thing, and they start traveling the J curve because you can't avoid it. Doesn't matter. You're like, no, I'm going to go up into the right. Life doesn't work that way. You might as well step off the building. You're like I'm going to defy gravity. Uh-uh. This, you just can't avoid this. And so when life gets harder, they quit. They'll say things like, "Why in the world would I keep doing the right thing when my life has only gotten harder since I've started?" And here's why. If we're ever going to experience the kind of life that we long for, the kind of life that we were designed for, you got to travel the J-curve. And while most folks give up right about here at the bottom of the curve, if you will stick with it, eventually things will bottom out. And then they'll begin to get better. And you'll hit this point where like, This this is as good as it was at dysfunction, and then you will begin to experience life that you couldn't experience here, but that you were hoping for here. Got to ride the J-curve. Can't avoid it. So wisdom would say to us, hey, this is what addictive elements will do. This is how they function, but it doesn't have to work this way. There are things that we can do to avoid them working themselves into the fabric of our lives. There are things that we can do to work them out of the fabric of our lives. Would you stand with me, church, as we pray? If today you're going, hey, I've got issues. And I'm trying to, to deal with them constructively. Again, there are a host of things we could have said about that beyond you know, doing this in community and living aware of the principle of the J-curve. I would say to you right now, if you are struggling to deal with the issues in your world and you want to do so constructively, personally, I don't know how you do that without God. I couldn't, I can't. I need Jesus. And as, as we continue today, we're going to pray And if you're at a point where you're going, hey, I've got this thing going on in my world. I can't do this myself. I need God to step into my life and into this issue. We're going to pray. And I would just invite you to pray with me and to surrender your life to Jesus and invite him into this part of your world. Let's pray together. Father, just again, there are so many of us who have seen this play itself out in the lives of public figures, in the lives of those we know and love, and in our own lives. Father, help us, please, just to be honest with ourselves, just to approach addictive elements in our lives with common sense and self-awareness. Help us to lean into community, and just recognize how life works and to persevere. Father, for some of us today, we are facing struggles in our worlds that we just know. We, we can't do this ourselves. We need you. And so we, just, we confess that we are broken, that we have done life our own way, that we have sinned. We confess that we need a Savior. We need Jesus. Who came, who lived, who showed us the way, who died to pay for our sin, who you rose from the dead to prove everything he promised was true. We want to surrender all of who we are to him. We want to put our hope and our faith in his life and death and resurrection. It's in his name we pray. Amen.